Today we have a video projection of about 20 to 25 minutes. Uh, it's it's on Indian dance by an American dancer who very beautifully says when she was asked, "What is your nationality?" So she said something which reminded me of one of the mother's sayings. She said, "I am 100% Indian and I am 100% American." Is something very beautiful. You don't have to leave one to accept another. This is what the mother said that I'm. I don't have to leave one nationality to adopt another. But just as a background, last time we uh, read about the mother's um, guiding Sahanadi on Radha's dance. It's very interesting how she used to take, um, and I'm sure she still does take minutest interest in all the varied activities of the ashram. It had struck me personally as something very beautiful, but I know that there are people who come to the ashram and when they look for a meditation hall and a meditation technique, and instead they find school and art and music and dance and, <laughs> and of course, playground, and they wonder that, what is spiritual about it? Mother has spoken about it several places. Well, this is how in India spirituality was conceived, not as something divorced from life, not even as something only connected with life, as a concession to life, but as something which had the power to uplift life, which could ennoble life, take it to its ultimate play of Shakti. So even the gods in India, they are very interesting gods, the greatest gods whom you know, Indians have worshipped over the years. Shiva, ascetic, and yet he dances, he sings, he plays music, he sports. What is it that he doesn't do? And he sports with what? With moon. He is not interested in sporting with something lesser. Vasuki and moon and... <laughs> so he is amazing. Krishna, of course, we see the many-sided, colorful personality of Krishna where no human activity, including war, is left out of the scope of spiritual endeavor. It's something very beautiful and we have lost it. In fact, the world has lost it, but it's regaining it with, uh, with pain, with struggle. But this is the inevitable destiny of earth, to discover a spirituality which lifts up matter and transforms it. Coming more so to art, music, poetry, dance, etc., some people feel, at least when I interact, people have asked that, you know, these things in an ashram. They had asked to Shirobindo and the mother also, when sports had started, we know how Shirobindo replied. There's a whole article of Shirobindo that why there is sports in the ashram, how it trains and disciplines the vital. Similarly, art, music, poetry refines the vital. It has this capacity to refine. Mother says that in children, if they are exposed to it, it's one of the simple and best ways, instead of putting a cap and forcing, do this, don't do this, simply through music, poetry, art, dance, vital can be refined. It's a very beautiful way, means. But it's not even that. There is another aspect, the aesthetic enjoyment, the rasa of life, which art, music can provide so much more readily. Even science can provide it. Provided we see it with the eye of the God-lover. So when we see, look at science from the eye of the God-lover, 
we disc- we discover behind all the complex processes of this universe the workings of mahasaraswati of a tremendous shakti just to look at the galaxies the way they drift the way um, the sun and the planets move in space the way an atom is formed the quasars everything uh, the way life blooms in plants it's amazing it's almost like admiring god because you are admiring what he has done it's very fantastic even one can admire tsunami when it you know uh, leave aside the effects but you know when it rises the sea rises in full spate it looks like mother kali with all her hairs flowing all around coming to embrace us asking who is ready <laughs> so obviously as human beings we are so small we get terrified but essentially it's the embrace of mahakali so this is um, there is a way that whole science can bring us close to god similarly art music and poetry can bring us close to god that is that was its original purpose we see in poetry Uh, particularly shirobindo's poetry things experiences realizations which are rare we just cannot imagine in our lifetime having them say for instance um, in the gita we see we can't think when we think of vishwarupa we have all kinds of weird imagination and when people make calendars they are horrible to show krishna with all those hundred faces and arms but when you read it in the gita it's a different experience altogether where he is in front he is behind he is on left he is on the right he is above he is below it's like krishna is lost into infinity blending into infinity similarly when shubhendra gives us a darshan of the mother he says very beautifully uh, at one place he says a form from far beatitudes came near at another place he speaks of infinity put on a finite shape or you know the delight was crowded in her limbs the delight that the blind world forces seek now this experience where through poetry so very often people ask this question now there is no darshan so this is my simple answer there is still darshan when shurvindo withdrew from the outer scene he placed in our hand savitri and through savitri we can have a darshan of the lord it's really true if we just read that adoration of the divine mother we for a moment this is the power of art and poetry that he brings that close to our consciousness and in much more i i feel a very intimate way so this is the power of what art can create of course shubhendra has taken it to the sublimest levels but even if we look at indian art even when it was in decline the buddhist period when people were stressing towards nirvana still they created ajanta and elora it's amazing it's it's when the art is in decline when it was in full bloom everything dance what we are going to witness today it was one means by which we could have an experience of that which otherwise cannot come within our mortal range how are we to see actually shiva's tandav or krishna's leela we cannot it's i mean by rare grace we can but it's difficult for the mortal vision that's why they say in vrindavan all the gopis and gopas they have become bushes if you go to the place where raslila was took place you just see the bushes and shrubs and it's a pitiable sight it almost shocks you you don't want to see a place where there are shrubs and bushes not even flowers blooming there but it 
hits you hard that well we are not ready to experience the ras leela of the divine so no wonder to our mortal vision this is what we will see but through dance the attempt is to recreate that truth that reality and bring it close to us so that eventually the rapture that the dancer is experiencing something of that even the audience can experience this is the whole idea and that's what we saw last time how the mother guides sahanadi about radha's dance she says first you must get into the bhava and once you have the bhava of radha you must not just simply do the dance or technique and rhythm but experience that everything of yours belong to the divine and then you dance it's amazing because that's something very beautiful and powerful first to know all things and then to forget all things and merge in the supreme so this was the basic idea this richness of many sided endeavor of life which we have lost so we just read something from shirbindo we'll read for about 10 minutes and then we switch on to the video shobindo in what today is renaissance of india these are series of essays which were written in response to mr archer and we are indebted to mr archer for all his negative criticism of india which made shirbindo write this treatise so it's amazing where he has seen everything negative so when he sees the dance of shiva and kali he says this is too ugly there is so much violence there is so much destruction everything possible he has seen and then he says where is spirituality where is creativity in india so shirbindo replies there is no historical parallel for such an intellectual labor and activity before the invention of printing and the facilities of modern science yet all that mass of research and production and curiosity of detail was accomplished without these facilities and with no better record than the memory and for innate the persis perishable palm leaf ayurveda is one case in point where every plant is studied in what detail what climate it will grow what are its effects if you combine with this material what are its effects if you combine with another material if we read ayurveda it's it's amazing sometimes it looks Uh, far more complex like if you take the same fruit in this season it has this effect in another season it has a different effect morning it's good and evening it's not good that's how you know we grow up with that that uh, khira you know cucumber din ko khaye so khira it's very nice if you take it in the morning par raat ko agar if you take it it's not good so you know we not that everything has to be a gospel truth but how detailed they had gone into this with personality how each thing you know uh, interacts uh, now how did they do it when there was no printing press no such means of communication we talk about information technology today but what was the means and they preserved it till date so it is amazing shobindo speaks of that here nor was all this colossal literature confined to philosophy and theology religion and yoga logic and rhetoric and grammar and linguistics poetry and drama medicine and astronomy and the sciences it embraced all life politics and society all the arts from painting to dancing all the 64 accomplishments which were called as 64 vidyas which at least there is one person who is known to have mastered and that is narada 
I believe only a bhakta can do this because he has a special grace of the Lord. It's not possible to. And he had mastered 64 vidyas, 64 accomplishments. Everything then known that could be useful to life or interesting to the mind, even, for instance, to such practical side manushi as the breeding and training of horses and elephants, each of which had its shastra and its art, its apparatus of technical terms, its copious literature. Even in house construction, when we look at the way some of these ancient buildings have been constructed, now people are rediscovering it. What material was used, how they transported the bricks, how they laid the foundation. It's amazing. And how did they know all this knowledge when there was no such uh, fast-speed internet? And then Shobindo says something very powerful. Indeed, without this opulent vitality and opulent intellectuality, India could never have done so much as she did with her spiritual tendencies. So if we don't have this kind of a rigorous intellect and opulent richness of life, seeking a many-sided approach to the divine, we cannot really fulfill the spiritual tendencies because they remain muted inside. They are all inside in some anabhivakta, unmanifest avastha. And then he corrects us and that's what we see in, in this ashram here. It is a great error to suppose that spirituality flourishes best in an impoverished soil with the life half-killed and the intellect discouraged and intimidated. So it's a great error. No, no, spiritual life means don't use your mind, intellect, intelligence, it's a hurdle, dry your heart's emotions. It has nothing to do with spirituality. Shubhinda says it's it's a great error to think because it's an impoverished soil. The divine wants a rich soil, rich with abundance, possibilities, manifold possibilities. The spirituality that so flourishes is something morbid. In fact, Shubhinda goes further to say it is something morbid, hectic and exposed to perilous reactions. So this is the kind of spirituality practiced as the typical sannyasi and you know who has withdrawn from worldly life who has these terrible reactions when they come in contact with world. It is when the race has lived most richly and thought most profoundly that spirituality finds its heights and its depths and its con constant and many-sided fruition. And that is what we see in India. Uh, the icons of spiritual spirituality at least whom people regard as the ultimate are none of the gods nor the dharma shastra nor the gurus you ask an average indian it is rama and krishna and rama and krishna are very much you know rigorously connected with life and all its possible activities in modern europe it is after a long explosion of vital force and a stupendous activity of the intellect that spirituality has begun really to emerge and with some promise of being not as it once was, the sorrowful physician of the malady of life. I love this expression. <laughs> Spirituality is not a sorrowful physician of the malady of life, where people say, oh, life is so much dukham, shokam, anityam, and the physician also pulls a long face and says, yes, I know, 
I'll give you this injection. Either you will survive or you will die. If you will survive, you will have some peace in your heart. If you die, you will go to Vaikuntha. This is not a melody, sorrowful physician for the melody of life. It is to create that Vaikuntha here. But the beginning of a large and profound clarity. India has lived and lived greatly. Whatever judgment one may pass on her ideas and institutions, what is meant after all by life and when is it that we must fully and greatly live? Because we speak about the life divine as an ideal. We know neither divine, we don't even know life. That is a tragedy. At least life we can know. <laughs> divine is, even divine we can know. He is the nearest. Nearest even than the breath of life. But that apart. Life, Shubindu defines life here so beautifully. Life is surely nothing but the creation and active self-expression of man's spirit, powers, capacities, his will to be and think and create and love and do and achieve. This is life. Life in its largest sense is the great web of our internal and external action, the play of Shakti. So we see with the coming of Shakti here, life, every field of activity suddenly manifested in the ashram. And I am sure if we keep that spirit, many things will come which are waiting to manifest, provided we don't get stuck only to those things which came up and think that nothing more will come. Many more things will come. They are just waiting to be born. Because the mother has spoken of that in agenda, she says that I have made everything ready. It's waiting in the subtle physical, just waiting to be born. Just a little opening from our side. The play of karma, it is religion and philosophy and thought and science and poetry and art, drama and song and dance and play, politics and society, industry, commerce and trade, adventure and travel, war and peace. Conflict and unity, victory and defeat and aspirations and vicissitudes, the thoughts, emotions, words, deeds, joys and sorrows which make up the existence of man. Shurabindu's prose is poetry. Look at the lilting prose. Just to read it is melody to the ears. It doesn't matter, you know. He has compressed the whole gamut of life and its many-sidedness and experience into one single sentence. But what is sentence? It's literally a prosody. And then he takes just two examples. We'll stop after that. Because these examples will come in the video also. One is about the dance of Shiva and the other is dance of Krishna. Mark the curious misreading of the dance of Shiva. Misreading by Mr. Archer. As a dance of death or destruction. Whereas, as anybody ought to be able to see who looks upon the Nataraj, it expresses on the contrary the rapture of the cosmic dance with the profundities behind of the unmoved, eternal and infinite bliss. This is how Shubhinda wants us to see Nataraj. Not as a dance of destruction, but a dance of new creation. So too, the figure of Kali, which is so terrible to the eyes, the mother is, as we know, the mother of the universe, 
accepting this fierce aspect of destruction in order to slay the asuras the powers of evil in man and the world and then finally about radha and krishna the symbol of radha and krishna which is celebrated in lot of dance and poetry particularly the vaishnava poetry and very often people derive all kinds of uh, misjudgment and pronouncement looking at the whole raslila at vrindavan and gop and gopis and krishna and uh, it it's it's sad it's a sad reflection on our own depravity not on radha and krishna the desire of the soul for god is there thrown into symbolic figure in the lyrical love cycle of radha and krishna the nature soul in man seeking for the divine soul through love seized and mastered by his beauty attracted by his magical float abandoning human cares and duties for this one overpowering passion and in the cadence of its phases passing through the through first desire to the bliss of union that's what mother has given the stages of radha's love for krishna first she feels a void then she feels a vague hint then krishna comes and withdraws and finally there is the bliss of union the pangs of separation the eternal longing and reunion the leela of the love of the human spirit for god so since we have um, less time so we'll switch on to the video some points here and there which next class we'll talk about